the to a ratio. Okay, though. The to a ratio. Okay, though. You put a permanent stamp on the culture with We Fly High. That record was a phenomenon, and you could play it right now in a club or a commercial or a TV show, and people would still freak out about it. Talk to me about making that record. Like, when you got the beat, what you thought about, how you came up with that hook that was... record was a mistake. I didn't mean to make that record. I made that record with the Franchise Boys. It was a finger snap record when they was making all the game and there, all the finger snap records. They was in the studio. We recorded over that beat. Then a few months later in Miami with deadlines across, on my head for singles and shit like that. I'm like, yo, pull up that one beat. It got a tempo that we probably could use for radio in a strip club. Let's take Franchise Boys off there. Let's add a verse. Let's add a hook. And that's how Ballin was created. I called one of my friends, baby mother, told her to sing the second part of the hook for the female. She said, no problem. And, you know, Ballin was a mistake with pressure on my back. And that's how diamonds get made, right? By pressure. Jim Jones has been part of hip-hop culture forever. He's a Harlem legend. He's a rapper. He's a director. He's a record executive. Did you know that he started his own crypto coin i i did not know that look i tried to create a conversation where we would talk about certain things hip-hop what have you but you can't contain jimmy he goes wherever he wants this conversation goes and flows all over the place i didn't know that he was into crypto until we got into the conversation much more i learn As we go along, because Jimmy is just fun to talk to, it's Jim Jones on Toray Show for half of it. Stay right here for the whole thing. Go to patreon.com slash Toray Show. The whole thing is worth it because it's an amazing conversation because Jim is just a special human being and an important part of this culture. Let's dig in. It's Jim Jones on Toray Show. Tell me what is going on with you in terms of music, business, everything. Like, where are you at right now in your life? Um, I guess I'm at a crossword in my life from uh, being a child and becoming a man and realizing the responsibilities I have to myself first and to my family and to the people after that. Realizing that is a bigger picture for me as as... God has a calling for everybody. And I think that I've grasped a little bit of what I'm here for. Just a little bit, maybe like 1% of it. Well, what is the thing that is separating the boy you say you were from the man you say you're becoming? Um, Realization and, and recognizing and being responsible of who I am. And that's one of the lessons I always teach my son since he was young is to be responsible, responsible for your actions. And it's funny, I've been preaching that to him and I I, I wasn't exactly using my own advice. And mm. just now in the past few years is I've been owning up to a lot of things that I wasn't proud of, but uh, using 
my ignorance to cover it up and not being responsible for some of the decisions I've made. And not saying that I needed to make a precedent about it, just saying internally with myself, there's some things you got to come to grips with. Is there something like recently that you've done or said that made you say, mm, look at me turning the page, being, you know, being, you know, a man now and like listening to my advice and. Um, just my humility. Um, not saying that I'm not a humble person in general, but be, be becoming a rapper, you become jaded very fast and becoming famous gives you a lot of excess and you don't know how to monetize that excess. And it's usually not good um, at all. So this is those type of things I had to change. Um, I don't know if there's anything any recently that I've done in general to make you realize that, but just being in a space of you're getting older, um, is music something that you want to do for the duration of your life? Or do you think that there's a bigger picture for you? And I do believe that there's a bigger picture for me. And I don't think that I'll be able to get to that picture until I complete my mission within this music industry. So you see the end of you making music in the near future? I don't think I'll ever have an end to me making music, but an end to me depending on making music to fuel all my endeavors. Yes. If that makes sense. Yeah. So why are you making music now? Um, because I've been to, I'm in a space where I've lived a lot of life. And I see the younger generation are starting to begin to live life. And I've done things that maybe they can hear my music and use as a bit of a guide of what not to do. Or if you do choose to go down that path, maybe you have some of the answers where you don't have to go as deep as I did. And, and, and just making good music is good for the soul. And it does something for me mentally when I'm making good music. Did you make like a ton of albums during the last year of quarantine and all that? Yes, I've um, I've recorded six uh, studio albums on Quarantine Studios, which is a platform that I've created in the midst of the pandemic so that I can continue to do music at the consistent pace that I love to do it. And I've created a virtual platform where I could record uh, music in real time with damn near zero latency, which is pretty much phenom- phenomenal. No, wait. Explain to me how you're recording music with zero latency, because that's one of the things a lot of people have talked about. There's no zero latency. Almost like 0.4 points of a second zero latency. So by the time I'm pretty much telling my engineer to bring it back, he's already there. So you know what I mean? Like It's it's like that. It works, and it works smoothly. That The the quality is incredible. Um, Like I said, I've created six albums, and I had... The artists on there doing their features, engineer, um, producers, all type of producers from hit maker to heat maker to uh, Harry Fraud. I still haven't met Harry Fraud in person. We have an album that is out now, the Fraud Department. I never met him in person. Harry Fraud and John Sparks are actually people who helped me create this platform of Quarantine Studios, how we record virtually. What is? Tell me about Quarantine Studios, like how it works. Um... 
It will work like as simple as I was to send you out a link, no different than what we're on now. Um, there's a few other attachments that goes to it that the studio could work uh, cohesively. So it feels like you, we're actually in the studio together. So whatever music I play, you won't hear through the computer feed, but you'll actually hear through the speakers like you were in a studio. And at that point, my engineer could control anybody's uh, Pro Tools rig from wherever he's at. He could be on the moon as long as he has uh, Wi-Fi and then he could tap into your computer and you could actually go in the booth and you don't have to do anything, press no buttons and nothing. It's actually talk as if you were in the booth in a real studio. Wow. 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 So tell me about the six albums that you've made in the last year? Yeah, um, so currently I'm about to drop my third project this year. The first one was the Deluxe to El Capo. Shouts to all of the support for the El Capo album. I dropped the Deluxe, I believe, in like January. Then um, after that, I just finished dropping the Harry Fraud, I believe, uh, two weeks ago. Um, in the beginning of May, I will be dropping a Scram Jones uh, album. So these are producers, well-known producers that I decided to do whole projects with. Um, and after the Scram Jones project, uh, shout out to Young Berg. I did a whole Hitmakers project, which I'm very excited to uh, drop in the summertime. Um, and then I'm like halfway through uh, a Zaytoven album that I started with him on Quarantine Studios. And then I'm working on a compilation album, a Berg Gang compilation album that we've been doing both in the studio and on quarantine studio. So that's we crazy. Tell me the rhyme or like the couplet that you're like most proud of. Like, yo, this is the illest thing I wrote out of this whole period. Hmm. There's a few that I feel that are very influential for the sign of the times. Um, uh, Ghost in my head. Well, uh, Rick Ross, that's the name of it. See, Ghost State, uh, State of the Union. State of the Union. There you go. State what of the you, Union. What did you say? I'm just just the whole rhyme. Um, uh, like, give me, give me, give me, give me a little. Oh man, now my head goes blank when the State of the Union comes on. Right. Um, you could build a wall as tall as the sky. We all know the coke's still gonna fall from the sky. This is America, baby, where we fall for the lies. Some along that, along that, along that lines, but it's it's a very political uh, driven record, along with a lot of the street braggadocia style that I bring to it. But if you listen to the message, it's very poignant and the where we at with uh, politics and the sign of times. And that was actually when Trump was in office, and now that he's out of office, you know, it's, it's a little bit different. We'll see how how it goes from here. But like, okay, give me a little piece. Give me, give me. I want to hear some, 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 some bars. Like some, you yes. know, some, some, some fly yes. bars. Oh, come on, man. You, see, all right, let me. So, if anybody knows me for the life of me, um, my music is uh, very personal. I do not use a pen or a pad. And once I actually create the music, it's funny because I kind of lose contact with it. Like as far as not even not saying care about it, but I don't remember. 90% of my music, not to say it like that, like even when I'm on stage, I'll be forgetting whole records and shit like that without, <laughs> that I got to perform that's been out of making me millions of dollars. So like, it comes, music is a funny thing to me when it comes to the art of it. So I would have to, you have to jumpstart me and then I could go into the whole rhyme and stuff. You keep talking and if it comes to me, I'll, say, I'll tell you the whole verse. I just yeah, got to kind of play, please. pull up. Um, Wait, um, no pen, no paper. 
I'm 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 fascinated with how you create without pen and paper. And uh, you know, there's some MCs who can pull it off. So you're hearing a beat and you're just talking your way into it. Like, how do you do it? Um, I don't know. Sometimes I write it in my sleep. I'll be in a subconscious state of just in meshing with the music and then I pop up and I have whole records and then sometimes the, the music just moves me to a point where it damn near writes the music for you. Um, but I couldn't write the music and, and record it and make it sound as good as it needed to. As Cam used to tell me when I was coming up first rapping, he's like, boy, if you could start doing the music the way you move around outside, you're going to become a star. And I had to figure that out. And one of the things that made it more comfortable for me was to uh, record without actually using a pen or a pad. I mean, I got a, I got a great memory. I don't know if it's for, for photographic or whatever, things like that, but I can, I can hold a lot of stuff in my brain and regurgitate it as needed. I mean, when you talk about like back in the day, the way that I felt you was like, these guys have a lot of ego and that gives them a sense that I can do anything. And it lets you take on the world and be a rapper and a director and a this and a that and like do whatever you want to do. And that was part of what people liked about you, that you had this ego that was flowing and people responded to that. Um, shit. I appreciate that. Um, a lot of confidence. Um, coming up without coming up, you either going to stand out or you're going to stand back. You dig? And I was the one that was going, one of the people that had, was fortunate enough to be able to stand out. Um, I don't know if it was ego more than it was an urge to be able to, to live better and using what I had to do so. You know what I mean? And I was very confident in the skills that I knew I had. I could, I'm a very quick learner and in the same space that I'm learning, I could turn around and make something amazing with what I've, what I've learned. What up, y'all? It's Torre, author of I Would Die For You, Why Prince Became an Icon. Check out Who Was Prince, an epic eight-episode podcast about Prince, where we talk to his girlfriends, his musicians, his engineers, his managers, all sorts of people who were close to him to find out who he really was. Follow Who Was Prince wherever fine podcasts are streamed. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. 
Each of NPR's Black voices are as direct, varied, distinct, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. You were always Harlem through and through. And I don't know if people outside of New York could fully see, like, can you explain to them what modern Harlem is really like and how that comes through who you are? Um, well, modern Harlem is now something that we call old Harlem. And it's something that we call new Harlem now. And that comes along with gentrification in the way that the younger generation hustles nowadays. Um, old Harlem was the era that we came up in. Well, there wasn't social media, but Harlem itself was like social media. Because um, you made your name for yourself in Harlem. Everybody in Harlem knew who you were, per se. Um, Harlem, very creative place. Um, I would say we're responsible for a lot of things when it comes to fashion yep. and flash and living a fast life at the, the the top of the totem pole when it comes to bragging rights and just the whole pace of what a hustler is. You know what I mean? From male perspective to the female perspective. Um, not saying that we're responsible for everything. It's saying that we were very influential coming up in, in that era as far as connecting with the rest of the world. Somehow, for some reason, Harlem was reflected around the world in some shape or form or fashion. And there was no social media. But our styles, our trend, the way of talking, all of that kind of seeped everywhere without us even knowing. You know, it, was, it was definitely loud and flashy and influential and... The Harlem guys had a shine that, you know, other people didn't just couldn't quite, you know what I mean? I mean, I'm Brooklyn, but still, like, Harlem was like, yo, Harlem got a little something extra to it. Yeah, we 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 kind of uh, was graced with a little extra pizzazz, I would call it. Um, very flashy, built on being flashy, built on the on the money and the fame and who got what first or who got the biggest debt or who got the most expensive what or... You know how it is. And it's still like that to this day. Um, just some new players and they playing the game a little bit different, but 
And then again, Allen Iverson came in the game and played it different as he had to show Michael Jordan, this is the new wave, same game, just the players is different. And that's what's going on right now in Harlem. And I got to respect it and tip my hat to it because these kids are hustling just like we were hustling, just a little bit different. I mean, there's look, there's always a black culture coming out of Harlem. But are you saying when you talk about gentrification, like there's a lot of white people coming up in Harlem changing that shit? Um, yeah, gentrification uh, is very heavy in Harlem right now. And I'm, I'm not opposed to gentrification. It makes the landscape look better as we know Harlem for being the ghetto. Um, been run down and burnt down early since the 70s. So the, the, the face of Harlem didn't look the prettiest. Um, now with all the gentrification, it looks pretty good with all the new buildings popping up and things like that. Um, I'm just mad or I'm more afraid of that they're creating less jobs for the people who actually came up out of Harlem due to this gentrification. And at the same time, gentrification is creating more jobs, but we're not getting any of those jobs. And these are one of the things that gets me upset with the whole gentrification thing, not the fact that they're building up the community. It's they're building up the community and trying to leave us out of something that we made historic. Yeah. And now they think that it's a, a playground, it's quote-unquote the new cool thing to do for other races. We won't put no, you know what I mean? But I mean, I would kind of hate to see my father grew up in Harlem and I would kind of hate to see it become like, you know, this white playground that like has no relationship to what we have known for generations. Harlem has been a center of, of American black culture for decades. Yes. And like to have it become like, Oh, now it's, White South Harlem be like, damn, like y'all took Harlem? Like, damn. I mean, no, I mean, white America loves to impose on anything that we do that's great. And Harlem has been one of the greatest things that been created for since the country's been created. And they've been trying to figure out a way to take claim of something that we've done so great. And with gentrification being around for the last 20, 30 years, they finally figure out a plan how they can be a part of something that they had nothing to do with. What was it that led you to say, I'm going to rhyme? Because you were already in the street getting money before you started rhyming, right? Yeah, I was hustling, making a couple of dollars, working with Cam and them, trying to figure out the other lanes and making money. But the other lanes were making money were not as fruitful as making music at that time when Cam and Mace were doing it. And just watching them making so much money, I'm like, I got to figure this thing out. And Cam and Mace were Mace particularly was the one who sat me down and showed me what it, how to make an actual rhyme. And what did I he, took that knowledge with me and now you got Jim Jones. What did he, te- what did he teach you? How did he teach you how... Maybe you understand make- what a bar was. Maybe understand what a metaphor was. Maybe understand how to rhyme from one bar to the next bar. Maybe understand the actual ins and outs of making a rhyme from a Harlem perspective, because everybody in around the country has a different way of they doing music. As you hear, sure. Atlanta has a sound, LA has a sound, Miami has a sound. So Harlem has its own sound too. And we have a way that we do our music compa- compiled of these bars. You know what I mean? These metaphoric bars that we turn into braggadocious lines that make people be like, damn, these niggas is fly as fuck. Yeah. Yo, I loved Mace's debut album today. Yeah. And it was like, it was, it was polarizing because people were like, I don't know about Mace. He a little da 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 da. I'm like, yo, fuck that shit. He got my con- first, I was also, I, I remember I got my first accurate when Mace had his first album. And 
we used to bump that all all the time with putting girls in the car and things like that. So he had concepts. He had fly rhymes. I love the way I just I loved his flow and his style and and like like yo I, I I've listened to the record ten thousand times. So you know what I mean I I, I, I love that shit. Uh, um, like just in general, you know, you've been doing this for years. What 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 makes a good MC? What is good MCing to you? Good MCing, yeah. On where you at? Um, some people can stand on a stage and captivate a crowd. Other artists can't do any of it. Other artists could just sing their records on stage and make the crowd hype. Some people don't need to play one record at all and still get the same out of the crowd that they would if they was to play their hit record. It just depends on who you are and how impressionable you are to the people. Um, it comes with a lot of charisma. You know what I mean? Like, you got to be able to finesse the people per se. Like, you know, when you talk to the people, you need to be... You need to have people intrigued, I guess, a bit to want to be, be somewhat like you or want to walk in your footsteps and make the girls want to scream for you, make the guys want to be like you. I mean, there's a lot to it. You know, I just wouldn't put anybody on stage and hopefully they'll they get it. I mean, that shit. to me very much describes you and what you've been able to do in terms of the charisma, in terms of the intrigue, because you seem to have like a, a, a rap lifestyle that we wanted to like know what's going on with Jim. Like you were a star before we fly high was already like, yo, I, I don't, I, I, the records is cool, but what does he do when he leaves the booth? What does he do when he's like, you know, in the hood? What does he do? Like, like you know what I mean? Like you create this whole, it was this whole lifestyle thing around you that was was compelling. Yes. The mystique of, of who we are was, and still to this day, you know, this, I know there's a lot of questions, a lot of things people still wonder about Jim Jones and, you know, Shit, it's like that. You dig? It's always gonna be like that. I'm, I'm a, uh, I'm a unique person, I guess, within this industry. I've been blessed, and and you know, to still be here. You know what I mean, so. I mean, part of it is just the the swag. Part of it is like you know, what was he doing before he was in the game? Part of it was like the way that you dressed. You know, you had kind of a a rock star approach to fashion. It wasn't the typical shit everybody rappers were wearing. Nope. Um, it was partly that you were in this crew, you know, you had this fraternity, you know, and like multiple men in the fraternity were like stars on their own. So all that was compelling. There's a whole bunch of shit to it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, shit. I mean, I, I, I can't say that, you know, sometimes you're lucky. Sometimes you're not. But a lot of the stuff that we people see from the diplomats, I would say per se, it's like premeditated things that me and Cam have thought about for a long time in the beginning and how we wanted to be seen by the people. And that mystique just kept rolling, kept going like a snowball effect and got bigger and bigger. Well, wait, what was that? What was what was what was it that you had planned that worked out? Well, for who we was coming up. The rough around the edges in the neighborhood Harlem, coming out of Harlem, we wanted to make sure people understood what we represented from our hustler aspect to how, how the, the rough neighborhood that we came out to how smart we was. Like, just was a, it's a, it's a bunch of things that we wanted to make sure that 
people seen when we were doing premeditated murder. NWA were probably one of our favorite groups as we would sit down and take videos on the VCR tapes and just sit down and study the game before we actually got our chance. And we would call it premeditated murder. That was one of me and Killer's little sayings and shit like that. And as we started to attain the fame and the success and some of these things that we were talking about started to happen. We started checking them off our bucket list. We would just laugh like we said this was going to happen. You know what I mean? Some of the things we kind of planted like that. I mean, you, 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 they say you could will yourself to a million. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash thrivemarket.com slash On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. And that's what we were doing. Well, wait, what else was on the bucket list? Make a million. What else? Uh, Become some of the biggest rap stars the music has ever seen. Um, Be as influential as N.W.A. Um, Just, you know, just be climb to the top of the, the top of the tier of being in in the rap culture at that point in time, everything was about being one of the biggest rappers from coming out of Harlem. You put a permanent stamp on the culture with We Fly High. That record was a phenomenon and mm. you could play it right now in a club or a commercial or a TV show and people would still freak out about it. Talk to me about making that record. Like, when you got the beat, what you thought about, how you came up with that hook that was... record was a mistake. I didn't mean to make that record. I made that record with the Franchise Boys. It was a finger snap record when they was making all the... All the finger snap records. They was in the studio. We recorded over that beat. Then a few months later, in Miami, with deadlines on my head for singles and shit like that, I'm like, yo, pull up that one beat. It got a tempo that we probably could use for radio in a strip club. Let's take franchise boys off there. Let's add a verse. Let's add a hook. And that's how Ballin was created. I called one of my friends, baby mother, told her to sing the second part of the hook for the female. She said, no problem. And, you know, Ballin was a mistake with pressure on my back. And that's how diamonds get made, right? By pressure. Yo, a lot of hit records get made with like, yo, you got 24 hours to make a record. I hear that a lot. But the hook is the thing. 
that was just 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 destroyed people. How'd you come up with that hook? Nelly and Diddy had a record where it was the dudes, it was a they were singing the hook and then the females singing the hook. I love that aspect. I said I need to get both parties involved, females and guys. And then the ball in that lib was just something I stole from Tupac. You listen to any of Tupac music, he said, I'm balling damn near on every record, balling on you suckers. And then, you know what I mean? So, and I just love the ad lib and I just hit that, the balling real loud. And two, that's the Tupac ad lib right there, really. You know what I mean? So, was that one night in the studio making that? Yeah, that was one night. That's like when I got the call at the end of the album, like, yo, you got to, we need something to put on the radio. Should I? Right. And when that shit started exploding in the culture, Blew me away. It was really have- that did it. It was Strahan that did it. I mean, the record was strong already, but when Strahan started sacking people and throwing that jump shot up on Monday Night Football, the biggest platform in the world at that time, that was a free commercial for me. And they was doing it every game till they won the Super Bowl. It turned into New York City's anthem. I mean, that's the kind of shit you see now more. Like you had cross cultural promotion that you could you you didn't pay him like he just loved the record and followed the vibe and like now you have a whole other the whole nfl is shouting back to you and people look yo the record is blazing and you know i mean now like people blow up like tiktok or whatever and that pushes back to the record um i mean like to have that that a, a whole other culture adopt your record like that is crazy Yes, yes, yes. It was crazy. Like a lot of the sports, professional sports, love the record, but the actual office of these professional sports didn't <laughs> understand the correlation between sports and hip hop, and they kind of was kind of deflecting any marketing strategy I was trying to bring to the table when it came to actual sports. Even the NFL and the NBA, they were like, you know, what I mean, when it came to uh, promoting. On their channels, they was like, that's a no-go. I remember I was trying to get the Knicks to play ball and come out to perform. And they was like, nah, we don't indulge in hip-hop. The record creates a lot of energy. Like, it, it yeah. makes me get hype. But it's a very slow record. Mm-hmm. So how is, how do you like, you know, you create like almost that MOP kind of like, yeah. But like, it's, it's, it's almost, it's very, very slow in terms of the tempo. That's Harlem. (laughs) (laughs) You said it had the strip club vibe. And there's a huge hip-hop strip club connection that a lot of people don't even talk about. It's definitely a huge strip club type record. Yeah, it probably was the biggest strip club for a few years. I mean, a few, not like one, like three, some shit like that straight when it came Playing ball in the strip club. Did you did you did you did you did you take it to strip clubs and break it there? Well, the strip club broke it there for myself when I just started playing and and I just started getting booked at the strip clubs for like twenty and thirty thousand dollars at the strip club. Like they want me to come to the strip club and they giving me five thousand singles to throw. Like it just was unrealistic. (laughs) So tell me about some of the businesses that you have. Outside of music, because you you entrepreneur, right? Tell me what you got going on. We have Vamp Fit. We have the Drip Report on Revolt, which is a weekend weather show. Um, we have Quarantine Studios, uh, as we were talking about. I have uh, my own Capital Coin, similar to Bitcoin, is on Ethereum platform. Uh, you can 
purchase if you have some ether right now. Um, I've been selling NFTs. Um, what else do we have on on the scoreboard? There's there's so many things. Um, but yeah, those are some of the things that I've been diving into. That was amazing. There's more amazing stuff from me and Jimmy over at patreon.com slash Torre show. The conversation continues there. So check us out. Thank you so much to Jimmy for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Marcus Harkis, Noel, Sam Montes, Jason Reynolds, Gravel Calais, Michelle, Brenda Cox, Kathy F., Dr. Keena Murphy, Earl Dorsey, and Theotokos. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show, and of course on Patreon at patreon.com slash Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editors, Ryan Woodhull. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean, and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down.